You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron's here. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Uh, lots of wizard stuff with Ben Standig coming up. Um, we'll get to the Nats and we'll get to a list of the top 100 players in the NFL and where the Redskins rank uh, uh, on that particular list. But I start with this. It's June 19th. And whenever it's June 19th, and I know that it's June 19th, it brings back the memory of one thing. I and many others remember what happened on June 19th, 1986, 33 years ago today. It was Len Bias's death uh, from cocaine intoxication. It was one of the saddest days I can ever remember, um, and it was the most impactful athlete death of my lifetime, I believe. It came two nights after he was selected by the Celtics at number two overall in the NBA draft. And Len Bias, the death was as much because of what he looked like as what he was on the basketball court. He was a strapping 6'8 specimen of a human being. Anyone that saw him play, you were struck by the body that he had. He was chiseled from stone. He appeared to be unbreakable. And it was that as much as it was, again, the greatness that he was as a basketball player, that he had as a basketball player on the court. It was the look of him, the physical freak that he was that made his death at 22 years old so shocking. How could somebody that looked like Len Bias die from cocaine use? Remember, it was the height of the 80s. It was the height of cocaine being everywhere. I went to Maryland. I was on that campus. I was in bars. I was at parties, dorm rooms, apartments around campus. It was everywhere, even if you didn't use it. It was everywhere. Len Bias died from it. Him. It wasn't possible. It didn't seem possible. His shocking death and everything that happened as a result of his death, it's hard to forget. You know, Aaron, you weren't alive for this, right? No, three months later. I was born. Three months later you were born? Really? So yes. you were born in September of 1986? Yes. Um, God, you're young. Uh, <laughs> it was a national story, a national obsession it became. A few weeks after his death, the U.S. House of Representatives began writing anti-drug legislation as a direct result of his death. The Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986, which was signed into law by President Reagan in October of 86, came and was inspired by Len Bias's death. It made the consequences for distributing drugs that cause someone to die much more severe, like life sentences for people who distributed drugs if a death resulted from the use of those drugs. Those provisions were often referred to as the Len Bias Law. It was that, that height of the war on drugs, Nancy Reagan's war on drugs, just say no. Stiffer penalties, mandatory minimum sentences for drug offenses, mostly inspired by the death of Len Bias. It all also launched, and I didn't know this, it launched the initiative of drug-free zones for schools. Len Bias, you, you have to understand the time. He was larger than life. College basketball was super popular in the 80s, much more so than it really is today. 
it was college basketball, the regular season, the tournament. It was big time. It was more popular in the 80s than the NBA was. It wasn't close, really. And he was the reigning two-time ACC Player of the Year and a first-team All-American. The country, not just the D.C. area or ACC country, the United States was shocked by his death. It was a huge national story, and the country's leaders reacted with action. The fallout at Maryland was unbelievable. Um, It was basically over for the athletic department. Uh, Bias, it was found out that Bias was 21 credits short of graduating, despite having been at Maryland for four full years. Remember, back then you stayed four years, more times than not, no matter how great you were. He would have been a top five pick after his sophomore year, and he stayed for his junior and senior years. His final semester, he earned no academic credits. He failed three courses. He withdrew from two others. And this prompted a freefall of high-profile people in the athletic department, namely Lefty Drizel, who was forced to resign 17 years head coach of being the head coach there, was forced to resign in part because the state's attorney at the time stated that in the hours following Bias's death, Lefty told players to go to his room and remove any drugs from his room. This was later found to be false, but this was part of the narrative then. And it would, people were looking for the fall guy. And Lefty became the fall guy in the bias, in the bias death. In my, in my view, unfairly so. Bias, by the way, the greatest player in the history of Maryland basketball for me. Juan Dixon won a title, but Bias is still the number one player in Maryland basketball, in my view. He was a physical freak. He was a competitive badass. He had the smoothest jump jump shot you'd ever seen. He could jump out of the gym. He dunked so violently that it became he became a highlight reel for anybody doing sports anywhere in this country. He had his head often above the rim. You rarely saw that back then. You saw it with Dominique Wilkins, and Leonard was the next of that generation. He was dunking with his head level to the rim as hard as he could on people. His steal and backwards dunk in the Carolina game in February of 1986 in the Dean Dome led Maryland's upset of then number one North Carolina. It was Dean Smith's first loss in that building. He went for 35, 11 rebounds, and four blocks in one of the most memorable Maryland wins of all time and one of the greatest performances of his career. Lefty always referred to Len Bias as Leonard. Leonard. And he called him a warrior after that game. He said Leonard was a warrior. He took Kenny Smith's shot late in overtime and threw it, and that was game over. People don't remember this. That that game is a memorable game in the in the history of Maryland basketball. Maryland would beat Carolina two weeks later in the ACC tournament again when Carolina may have been like the number three or number four team in the country at that point. And Maryland entered the 1986 NCAA tournament as a hot team, as one of those trendy picks to get to the Final Four. Bias was the player, two-time player of the year, first-team All-American. People thought that he was good enough to strap that team to his back and carry it to the Final Four. Uh, they had beaten Carolina twice over the final month of the season. 
And in the final game of his career, which turned out to be one of his better games of his career, against UNLV in the second round, Maryland was favored as the five seed over the four seed. They were a two-point favorite in that game to beat UNLV in advance to what would have been their third straight Sweet 16 during the bias era. He went for 31 points, 12 rebounds. Maryland was 11 down early in the second half. They came back, they took an eight-point lead, but they couldn't hold on, and UNLV won the game. And it was devastating when they lost that game, Aaron. You remember the Michigan State-Vasquez game, and that's one of the all-time hurts as a Maryland fan because it ended so suddenly and the path was there for them to get to the final four if they won the game. And a big part of it was that was it for Vasquez. That was it for his career. Yep. And when they lost to UNLV in a game that they seemed to be headed towards a win, they were up eight midway through the second half and they would have played Auburn in the Sweet 16, and they would have been favored more likely than not in that game. They would have had a legit shot to work their way towards the Final Four, which, by the way, would have been huge to see Bias continue to play, but as a Maryland basketball fan, you thought that this may have been the shot for Lefty, too, because there were so many previous opportunities came up short. But it was a devastating loss. It just, I'll never forget the way I felt when that game ended. It was a major gut punch. The season was over, Bias's career was over, and it seemed to end so suddenly and so short of what the potential was that year. Pretty much like his life, actually, which ended way too soon. We missed out on what I think would have been an incredible pro career. He looked the part. He was a fierce competitor. He was going to be on a marquee team you know, the Celtics with Larry Bird and McHale and Parrish and DJ and Ainge. Beyond what he was going to likely be as an individual player, he would have also had his greatness wrapped up into the fabric of a, of a marquee franchise, the Boston Celtics. Many say that he was Jordan. I never felt that way. I always felt that he was Dominique that he was Dominique Wilkins. He was not a two-guard. He was a small forward who could have been moved to the power forward or the four at times. Michael Jordan was a true two-guard, shooting guard. Len Bias was 6'8", was a small forward, really in a power forward's body. He would have been a highlight reel guy, like Jordan was, and like Dominique Wilkins was. He always reminded me more of Dominique Wilkins than Michael Jordan. He would have scored 20-plus a game. He would have rebounded. He would have blocked shots. And he would have been, you know, he would have created, you know, two to three plays every night that would have been breathtaking that you would have seen on every sports cast, you know, after the game. But all of that is just projecting because we never got the chance to see it. Um, 33 years ago. It's amazing that his career today would have been 15 to 20 years completed at this point. I mean, if he were still alive today, his NBA career would have been over 15 to 20 years ago. That's crazy, the way time flies. Um, So anyway, there was a lot of Wizards news since yesterday's show, and as I mentioned, Ben Standig's going to join us shortly to discuss all of it. Needless to say, from my standpoint, Ted Leonsis' statement to the Washington Post that the reports of the team's interest in Masai Ujiri, the Toronto GM, Ted said are simply not true. Uh, That's very hard to believe. 
um, for a lot of reasons. Look, he talked about this being the best available job in all of sports, yet here we are one day from the NBA draft and less than two weeks away from free agency, and they don't have a GM. So the logical answer, come on, is that they were waiting on Ujiri, and he didn't want the job. So we'll get to all of this with Ben in a few minutes, and then Ben will also uh, share with us um, some of his mock draft. Remember, he finished first in a national NFL mock draft contest, and he's in one, I believe, with his NBA mock draft. So he will join us shortly. Uh, The Nats got rained out again last night. I don't know. It seemed to me like they could have played the game last night. No? I mean, it, it looked or, like it was pouring at the stadium every time they cut to it. Did it? But okay. it didn't really rain much in you know in Rockville. But apparently at the stadium, every time I was looking at the, the videos and stuff, it looked like it was pouring there. Well, I mean, this series has now been shortened at least by one game. There's a scheduled doubleheader today. Then they'll play the last game tomorrow. The game that was rained out last night has been rescheduled for September at some point. Um, but there's rain in the forecast all day today and tonight and tomorrow. You know, here's the thing. I've, I've heard a lot of conversation. I sat in with Tony this morning, too. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about how you avoid this and should places that are real humid that have all of these showers and thunderstorm issues all the time during summer, should they have maybe a retractable roof so you don't miss out on these opportunities? Don't they always play pretty much every game? You know, by the time we get to the end of September and that the end of the regular season, they've played 161 or 162 of them pretty much every year. Sure. So they'll figure out a way to get these games in. I'm guessing. They'll get it in, but you know, doubleheaders, you lose revenue. Yeah, et cetera, that's et true. That's that's a fair point. Um, although God, I mean, doubleheaders. I, I remember the first doubleheader I ever went to, Aaron, the Oakland Athletics, the Oakland A's at the Baltimore Orioles at Memorial Stadium. My father took me to a double header at Memorial Stadium. And the, the double headers back then were not, you know, day night. They were you the, the yeah. first game started at 530. To to admit two games for one admission. Yeah, and it was a true double header. Yeah. Back to back, you know, games and God, I mean I like, miss those. I miss the scheduled double headers. Yeah, that, that that was that was a big deal. I remember it being a big yeah. deal going to a double header. Um All right, quick word about Window Nation, and then I'll get to uh, a story that ranks the top 100 NFL players and tell you where some of the Redskins uh, came in. Um, But first, let me talk about Window Nation. Um, If you're thinking about Windows, I really want you to give Window Nation a chance. I've got personal experience with Window Nation. Yes, I know the owners. I know Harley and Aaron, and I know Eric, and I've been an endorser for Window Nation now for over 10 years. But I've got personal experience in actually purchasing windows from Window Nation and having them come out and giving me an estimate and then providing that, turning that estimate into an actual job and having people come out and install windows and have it go very well for us. I know many others who were not just listeners to the show, but friends of mine who I recommended Window Nation to, and they've always had a great experience with it. And here's the thing, if you're skeptical for whatever reason, 
you don't have to do anything other than just give them a chance by having them come out and give you giving you a free estimate. There's no risk in that. They're going to do it when it's convenient for you. So they're accessible and available 24 hours or 20, 7 days a week, almost 24 hours a day. But whenever it's convenient for you, they'll come out as quickly as tomorrow if you call them today. And they'll get into your home and they'll tell you exactly what you need. That was my experience is that they said, you're good in this room, but this room you could use a few windows. And then they gave me a price quote and we were able to think about it and then actually make a move on it. And it worked out for me. I'd ask that you give them a chance. Window Nation's installed over 150,000 windows just in the last year with 99.5% of them requiring no follow-up service. They've got an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and over 10,000 online positive reviews. And they provide lifetime warranties for their product. They're not sending some new guy out to your home to install uh, the windows They've got 16 years of experience on average in terms of their installers. I trusted them to come into my home, and I promise you, you won't go wrong if you trust them coming in to your home. Right now, the offer is buy one window, get one free. There's no limit, all right? So you can buy 12 windows and get 12 free. Plus, there's no right now, there's no down payment, there's no interest, and there's no payments for 12 full months. They call that zero, 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 zero down payment, zero interest, and zero payments for 12 full months. Call them at 866-90-NATION. That's 866-90-NATION. Tell them that I told you to call. You can also set up a free in-home estimate at windownation.com. All right. Um, I, I found this, you know, and I talk about this all the time about all the different, you know, NFL made up stories that people have to come up with this time of year because the NFL is still king and providing NFL content is still so important for any sports website. If you go on to ESPN or CBS sports or SI.com or any of them, there's just constant creativity when it comes to, you know, doing an NFL segment like today on ESPN.com ranking the 25 biggest position upgrades of the 2019 season. Um, you can just find second year wide receiver breakout candidates. That's one of the topics. Well, I found this on CBSSports.com. And by the way, I haven't been a massive fan of this guy over the years. It's not that I, I don't like him. I just haven't always felt like, you know, whatever he's written or said is connected with me. But Pete Prisco has been a longtime NFL writer. Um, and with CBS Sports uh, for several years now. And he came out yesterday with his list of the top 100 NFL players of 2019. Now, NFL.com will start this process when, Aaron? Next month? Usually they do their, their countdown of the top 100. Yeah. And they do it, you know, in increments of 10 over like 10 weeks leading up to the regular season. I think it's that's the way they've that done it in the past. Yeah. Um, so Pete Prisco put his out, I guess, in advance of this. Top 100 players of 2019. Um, Aaron Donald, by the way, is his number one player in the league. Patrick Mahomes, number two. Aaron Rodgers, three. Von Miller, four. Khalil Mack, five. Then comes Brady, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Bobby Wagner, J.J. Watt. There's your top ten. So, you know, this was one of the things I was looking through uh, earlier this morning. And I'm looking, going through the whole countdown, and I'm looking for, all right, uh, Brandon Sheriff's got to be in here. Is Trent Williams in here? Maybe John Allen's going to make this. Well, certainly Landon Collins is going to make this list. 
He just got the biggest deal in the history of the league for a safety. Not one Redskin is in Pete Prisco's top 100. So take it for what it's worth. It's one guy's opinion. I will be, I'll be interested to see because the NFL.com list is a player's list. The players vote on that list. I, I, I believe that's, that's accurate. I'm pretty sure that when we've done this and talked about that list on, on NFL.com, NFL Network, it's always been a player-voted list. This one is one guy's opinion. You know, Pete Prisco, CBSSports.com. He doesn't have one Redskin in the top 100 in the NFL. The names I just mentioned, Landon Collins, Trent Williams, Brandon Sheriff, I would have thought would have had a shot to be in it. Um, Trent Williams has certainly been on this list, on the NFL.com list for many years in a row. Ryan Kerrigan's made the list before. Now, he did have a list of sort of others receiving votes, or as he calls it, just missed list. And on that list, Trent Williams was there and John Allen was there. But still no Landon Collins on that list. In the top 100, tell me how many safeties are on that list, Aaron. I believe it was seven. Are there seven safeties better than the highest paid safety in the NFL at this point? I, I According to him. According to him, there are. So let's go through the safeties that he's got uh, on, on this particular list. The first one he has, I think, is Jamal Adams at number 36. Yeah. All right, so Jamal Adams is a hell of a player. Uh, Harrison Smith from the Vikings is 44 on this list. Harrison Smith is a really good player. Is he better than Landon Collins? I don't know. Derwin James should have been the Redskins pick a year ago. He's on this list after his sensational rookie season at 47. I would say that he is better than Landon Collins. Um, The next player on the list is Kevin Bayard in Tennessee. Is he better than Landon Collins? I don't think so. Uh, next up on this list, I'm getting, uh, trust me, I'm not actually legitimately upset. Eddie Jackson would be next. Eddie Jackson's on the list at 67. And then you have... Eric Weddle. I like Eric Weddle, but the Ravens didn't like him enough to keep him. And Eric Weddle now is what, 34 years old? He's getting up there. Um. So... Where was Weddle? What was he? Where was he? Where did he come in number wise? Weddle was seventy six. Okay, so I think that's your six that were on the list of one hundred. And then on the just missed list, he had Earl Thomas, who's a Raven now, uh, and he had Devin McCourty, and he had Malcolm Jenkins, and he had John Johnson, the Ram safety. So he's got ten safeties ranked ahead of Landon Collins, maybe more. I would have thought that Landon Collins would have been on this list. I'm I'm surprised he didn't at least make the others receiving votes. Um, I'm, I'm very surprised. By again, that. Uh, I'm not uh, truly. It's one person's opinion. I'm not worked up about it, but I do think that it speaks to this larger point, and that is the expectations of this Redskin team for 2019. Somebody sent me uh, something where somebody predicted the Redskins w- would go two and fourteen. Did you see this I yesterday? Didn't, no. Um, I don't know if it was somebody of you know somebody noteworthy, but I don't know if they're a two and fourteen team. I think that the number is right in Vegas at six and a half. I think that's a good over under number for this team. But I, I personally think that 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 uh, that Landon Collins is a top one hundred player and a top five certainly safety uh, in the NFL, and he doesn't have him in the top ten safeties in the league. And I would hope that this time next year. 
Like if we're being, you know, if we think that they've done well drafting here recently, then next and and making moves in this particular offseason, then next year the list should have John Allen on it. It should have Landon Collins on it. It should have Brandon Sheriff on it. I hope it has Montez Sweat on it. You see, you saw a couple of second-year players on this list. Um, maybe, hey, Jordan Reed stays healthy. Maybe he makes his way back to a list like this. Trent Williams reports he makes his way back to a list like this. The Redskins do have players with enough talent to eventually make this kind of list. That's the one good thing you know that you can say about this football team, especially as it relates to the, the, the uh, defense. They've got some talent. They've got players that you could see being on a top 100 list. John Allen, Deron Payne, uh, Landon Collins, Montez Sweat, and then offensively, Trent Williams, Jordan Reed, Brandon Scherr for all potential guys that could land on that list next year. Hopefully... This time next year, I'm telling you about Pete Prisco's top 100 breakdown, his list, and all of those Redskins are on it. That means they would have had a really good year. Um, the Redskins really are not getting any, any respect. They are an afterthought for virtually everybody outside of this town. And that's why they didn't end up on hard knocks. The Raiders are a much more interesting story than the Redskins right now. I, I could see, though, I could see defensively, you know, some of those names making their way onto a list like that a year from now. Um, and I'm surprised, genuinely surprised that Landon Collins isn't on that list right now. I think he is, again, for those of you that say I'm always negative, I liked the signing of Landon Collins. I did say that it was expensive, but I liked it. I thought it was a good signing for this team. It was a need. He's a quality guy by all accounts. You know, he's been a, he's been boasting a, a ton since he signed with the Redskins and telling everybody about how great he's going to be and how great the team's going to be. I don't like that part of it, but he is by all accounts a first-rate locker room guy and a really good player. And I think we saw how good he can be in his first few years uh, in New York. All right, let's bring in Ben Standig, who writes for NBC Sports Washington uh, and was the uh, NFL mock draft champion uh, back in April. He's got his NBA mock draft ready to go. We're going to go through that. But, of course, he's been covering the Wizards for years for a lot of different uh, outlets, including his own. Um, and I want to start there with you know, where they are on this GM search. And, and the story this morning in the Post um, with Ted's, you know, uh, statement. I mean, Ted made a statement about um, the comments and the, I'm sorry, the stories and, and rumors regarding Masai Ujiri. Um, and he said, any reports that we have interest in Masai Ujiri as a candidate are simply not true. And we've never planned in any way to ask for permission to speak to him during our process. Do you believe him? Well, uh, since I was one of the people that that put this out there, uh, and I think I first mentioned a potential Wizards Masai Ujiri connection on April 30th, I, I guess I have to say I don't fully, in the sense that I've been reporting this, so uh, I, I'm not. I don't have any reason to go against what I was told throughout these weeks. And then at the end, you know, a few days ago, reported the idea of this potentially big offer, and Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN uh, and also the Athletic. Have said have essentially said the same thing. Here's my thing. Let's just say let's just take the owner at his word. You know, great. He he said there's never been any interest. 
well, then what are we doing? This is my question because, fine, they, they, they fired Ernie Grunfeld on April 2nd, a, a, a decision that people had no real issue with. He'd been there for 16 years. The Wizards were coming off a poor season, et cetera. Then they hire, immediately hire an outside consultant to presumably bring in other candidates to meet for the job. They interviewed a, co- a few people, including Troy Weaver and Danny Ferry twice, along with the interim head, Tommy Shepard. But that was like six weeks ago. Then a couple weeks later, they met with Denver president of basketball ops, Tim Connolly. He decided to stay with – they made him an offer, and he decided to stay with the Nuggets. No harm, no foul, and kudos to the Wizards for going aggressively after a guy who's like an up-and-coming front office executive. But that's been nearly a month ago. Now, I haven't been had an issue at all with the Wizards waiting, right? I don't have – I mean, look, the last guy was there for 16 years. Waiting a few extra weeks is not that big of a deal. But the question would be, what was the plan? And it seemed as if the plan was to wait out somebody who was still playing, whose team was still going, i.e. Masai Ujiri. That would make some logical sense. Ignore the fact whether it would be a long shot to even get him. But, okay, fine, you're waiting. But now the owner says, no, 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 that that wasn't the case. Well, great, then then what is the case? Then what are you waiting for? He also said in the same statement to the Washington Post that he wasn't going to make any front office changes until after the start of free agency. Well, when did that – why are we just learning this now? Why didn't we find this out several weeks ago? I was told by agents leading into the pre-draft process that they wouldn't send their clients to Washington for workouts because they didn't know who was making the decision. Don't we think that that would have been clarified by if he had made this statement several weeks ago? If nothing has changed in the recent days or weeks, why what, – what is, what is the – what's the issue? If his real plan was to wait, to be patient, to go potentially punt this offseason – why didn't you just say that up front if that was the plan? But he didn't until just yesterday after these Messiah Jiri reports became, you know, incredibly front and center after, you know, Woj threw it out there. So, I don't know. To, to me, the whole thing is very curious. I've given them the benefit of the doubt in terms of waiting. Like I said, I don't have an issue with it per se, but it's becoming harder and harder to see what the plan is. And that's why, to me, it just feels like there's just nothing – there's even more uncertainty now than there was previously. Yeah, let's not forget that he called this the best available or open job in all of sports. Um, one that you know would would be uh, would create you know a lot of interest from a lot of high quality people. Um, and to your point, they haven't even brought in that many of those. This is this is pretty transparent to me. He, uh, you know, it's a conversation that that we've had. You reported. You know, we got the Woj bomb the night that the the, the Raptors won the title. Um, there's too much smoke around this and too much that makes sense that he's been waiting all along to make a move for somebody uh, in the NBA Finals. And that somebody, you know, I think is Masai Ujiri. I agree with you. And I, I just wonder, Tommy's um, position is that perhaps with the reporting that came out quickly after the NBA Finals on Thursday night had finished – that perhaps he was slapped down a little bit and threatened with tampering charges. Do you think that there's potential truth in that? Well, I mean, I don't know this based on my own reporting, so I I can't say definitively. If you just want to throw out, well, what are the potential logical explanations for this? I mean, certainly something like that would make sense. It's also possible that they have already found out that Masai Ujiri ultimately doesn't want to – what doesn't want this, and this is a way to save face. I mean, from what I've gathered, part of the issue is the Wizards, you know, don't want to look like they struck out for a second time, having already offered to Tim Connolly. 
Now, my the very first report that I put out there in April was not about the Wizards' interest in Terry. It was about his interest in Washington, D.C., meaning that there, yes, is an NBA team in this city, but also for his outside interests, political interests, what have you, that D.C. would be a bigger platform than Toronto, and that would be a potentially appealing to him. Also, his wife went to high school in the area and so on. So, uh, you know, to me, the it, it, uh, you know, similar to Tim Connolly, who was from this area, the idea of this being a, an interesting job, I, I to me, seems pretty clear. But look, he won an NBA title. That could easily change a person's opinions. There's a lot of emotions that go into that. So I wouldn't begrudge it if one day Ujiri thought, hey, I would be interested in this, and then says, oh, man, I can't leave this. Even if Kawhi Leonard leaves Toronto, I feel pretty good. That's right. So, what you, you just, know, so- By the way, what you just said, there's a lot of, of logic in that, in that Ted waited this out. He wanted Ujiri, didn't necessarily think that Ujiri and the Raptors would win the title and he'd have to wait so long, but that there was – at least on Ted's part, some sense that Ujiri might be interested in this. And he was holding out hope that he could really hit a home run with the hire. But the further they went and the fact that they actually won it all um, perhaps resulted in Ujiri not being interested in the job and wanting to stay in Toronto. That makes sense to me. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that, that, that does make sense. And I guess my question is, look, I, I, you know, it's, I am not, Kevin, I, I'm going to break news, I'm not – uh, a, a guy who runs a billion-dollar corporation, and I don't know what the pressures are to dealing with that, and that you have all this PR stuff that you need to deal with and, and work around, and that's all real stuff. But it just, I just don't quite understand the song and dance. It, you know, it's no, it's no harm, no foul to show interest and to make an aggressive move. The Wizards stood pat for years, and people couldn't understand why are they staying with Ernie Grunfeld. Great. So now they're taking big swings. Are, are we really? Like I mean, honestly, what is the what is it? What's the issue? An owner went to to hire the best he possibly could. He said the best people would potentially get this or be interested in this. He he having conversations and having people say, "Look, I appreciate it, but this isn't the right time for me." Is not a crime. So I don't get why we can't just say that this, this was happening. Now, granted, he can't maybe can't say it until Toronto gives permission, and maybe Toronto never does. And then he has to say, well, we hope to talk to him. That didn't work out. So now we're going to go for, figure something else out. But we have confidence. I, I, I don't know. I don't get why we can't just say that. This is, that's, this is why. This, this is why, um, in my view. Ted loves to talk about patience and poise and, you know, and, and, and perseverance and, 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 and being, you know, pursuing this in a very business oriented way, you know, with, with, you know, a a plan and, and a rollout schedule and, and things to knock off one at a time, you know, a, a real, you know, diligence involved in this because, you know, he feels this is what you have to do. And he's smarter than most people in his own mind. And he is because he was a founder of AOL, which he actually wasn't a founder of AOL, but he was an instrumental part of AOL's growth. And, and he's always had this, this, this patience, this composure, this, you know, this restraint on, on being impulsive. And by the way, it's been convenient to be that way because the football owner in town's always been so impulsive and it hasn't worked out. So he's been the opposite of that. And this stoicism sort of attached to it, you know, in, in, in the way he, he speaks, in the way he presents, if it results in him not looking smart, 
Well, this pains him more than anything else. So you had to have a conclusion here when you didn't get Ujiri for him that said, well, we weren't interested in Ujiri. We're continuing to be patient. We're, we're going to approach this the way we approach everything by not being impulsive, to think through every possibility, to make sure, as he said, I intend to create a leadership team when it feels exactly right and is in alignment with our findings and our final developed specifications. You know, it's like uh, the, the, these, these, you know, long phrased answers to things he can't come out on the other end looking like somebody completely stiffed him or somebody said, I'm not in on what you, you're creating, especially after he called it the best available open job in sports. This is why we have, I think, the answer we have today. Because if the answer was we were interested and it's just not going to work out, he looks bad and doesn't look like the smartest guy in the room. Um, I mean, look, I, 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 I can't sit here and, and refute things you just said and I totally you know, you're I mean I get it and and so my and this is sort of to my point of just sort of saying let's just take him for his word that the the Messiah stuff we all got it wrong hypothetically Woj got it wrong David Aldridge Fred Katz myself we all got it wrong well then okay but then what has been happening for the last month right since Tim Connolly <laughs> I mean he, the, the entire NBA is available to, to speak with as far as I know or anybody has reported they haven't met with any actual candidates. Uh, other candidates who were thought to be brought in, you know, got la- got signed up by other places. Um, what, what's the what's the holdup? And like I said, why not make this point a month ago? Hey, we really are being serious. We really are going to take our time, and we're going to let Tommy Shepard run the draft and run for agency. Right. We're confident that he can get the job right. done. And ultimately, we may decide he's the guy. But to just say that. But since they didn't say that, and Again, these other reports have come out. It's just it's just confusing as to what the plan was. So, and 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 that's the point. Like for me, like again, I don't have an issue with the waiting. And look, ultimately, depending on who they hire, it may be great. He waiting may have been the exact same thing in a couple of years from now, three years, whatever. We may all look back and think, "Wow, remember when we were all freaking out that the Wizards didn't have a GM?" But right now, as we sit here today. It's just hard to figure this out. And mind you, it isn't just the draft. Like that's just one pick. Tommy Shepard can make that call. The, there is a lot to discuss this offseason. They only have like five guys under contract yeah. right, right right now. Are they keeping Bradley Beal? Are they trading Bradley Beal? Which of their own free agents do they want to retain or let go? What outside free agents are they interested in? Are they signing guys with to make a playoff push next year? Or are they taking this year as sort of a, well, we're, we'll, get, we'll, we'll fix things up a year. We'll, we'll take our time, sign guys to one or two-year deals at the most. We'll be patient with John Wall coming off his injury and set ourselves up for an interesting 2020 summer. I'm sure they've had these discussions, but it's hard to know what's the plan. And by the way, is Tommy Shepard just the interim for the whole year? If that's the case, how does that shape his decision making throughout this process? Does he try to well it's, to try to win, impress? You know, wh- 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 where is he in this? And I think Tommy's a good guy. I, I'm I'm comp, I'm cool from based on everything I know and talk to people. If he gets the job. But, you know, even that is the interim tag to me seems like a weird way to go for the year. I would give him the job flat out, but that would be me. Look, his plan was to have somebody. The fact that he doesn't means now he's trying to explain to everybody that his plan was never to necessarily have somebody at this point. And with respect to Shepard, one of his quotes, one of his long-winded quotes was, quote, as I have said, we will likely use 
Many hands make light work is a mantra as we seek to establish a new organizational construct that is in line with what the future of the NBA will look like, creating a shared platform on health sciences, data analytics, venue management, skills training, etc. for all of our basketball franchises, closed quote. Um, that When you talked about this being... When he talked about this being the best open job in sports, that is not in alignment with that quote. The many hands make light work uh, quote. So look, he's shifting. Um, you know, he, he, he's he's shifting the goal line right now, which is fine, and maybe it'll work out for him. But to your point, we're probably at this point going to get Tommy Shepard's influence along with Scott Brooks's influence. I don't know, maybe Zach's influence in a draft that takes place Thursday night, in a decision about Bradley Beal and potential free agents, and rounding out a roster that basically, as you said, is one-third filled with respect to actual players under contract. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a, there's a lot in play. And, uh, you know, <laughs> like I said, I mean, not to keep repeating myself, but waiting to me is not the issue. Just what's the plan? And, uh, you know, it's just hard to, to know. And the interesting also thing, I guess, is he came out as hard as he did to say that there was no, that there's never been any interest in going to Ujiri. I mean, one possible scenario here, and again, at this point, I'm just speculating, but look, Masai Ujiri's got a big question for himself. Is Kawhi Leonard staying in Toronto? If Kawhi Leonard stays in Toronto, nobody would, of course he's going to stay, logically. Right. Why wouldn't you? You get a chance to run it back. Golden State looks to be, uh, you know, a shell of itself after the Durant and Clay Thompson injuries. Toronto would argue be the favorite to win a sec- to win the NBA title. So of course he would stay. He needs to know though if Kawhi is going to stay. And we can debate whether Kawhi people just assume he's leaving. But if he wants to wait, that's fine. But but if Kawhi leaves and Masai at that point is like, okay, now I am open to to looking elsewhere. Well, Ted has now come out and stated, the owner has stated that they have never shown any interest in hiring him. So now what? Like if this actually were to come up, we're going backwards. So I, I don't know. It's just it's just confusing. There may be maybe there's like you know uh, fifth level chess happening above my head that I can't see. But just based on the simple logic, it's just hard to figure out right now what the plan is. I mean, like you said, I get what I get what you're saying. You're right. But it's just like I'm trying to I'm trying to hear the words, trying to you know not interpret my own assumptions into it, and it's just hard to figure out what the actual plan is based on the, the words and actions coming out of there. All right. Um, two other things to get to, or one thing to get to, and then your, your mock draft. Um, the Wojnarowski report about Beal, um, which came out, I guess, very, very late last night or early this morning. He, um, he tweeted out, everybody in the league has tried to get at Bradley Beal. They are not trading him. He's eligible for a three-year, $111 million extension later in July. Right now, I'm told it's the team's intention to offer that up to him and try and keep moving forward with Beal. What are you hearing as it relates to Bradley Beal? Um, I, I can't say I've heard anything that definitive, but logically, that certainly makes sense. I mean, my point throughout this – so part of like, – I would not trade Bradley Beal if I could avoid it, right? He's got two years left on his, on his contract. In NBA terms, $26 million a year is a pretty good bargain yeah. for, for a player of his level. Crazy. And he's an ascending talent, two-time All-Star. And look, the Wizards have nothing else right now with John Wall injured. The, the owner has stated last in January 
that this team will never, ever tank. I don't think rebuilding means tanking, but if you trade Bradley Beal, then you're, from a perception angle, you're veering closer to tanking than you're not. So, okay, so you want to keep Bradley Beal. The problem is, what if Bradley Beal ultimately decides he doesn't want to stay here? Now, if he doesn't have to make, nobody has to make that decision anytime soon, but one way to sort of test those waters is to offer him an extension. And if he says no, maybe that doesn't mean he won't eventually sign one. Maybe he needs to see more from this organization. But at the same point, if he says yes, then you have a lot more clarity as to what your future holds. And so to me, give, I mean, look, the money is crazy. The Wizards would have a ton of money invested in him and Wall. But, you know, that, that's where they're at at this point. So I wouldn't have an issue if they did offer him the extension. They arguably probably should. But it will at least give him some clarity if he actually, depending on what his answer is, especially, well, obviously, yes. But even if he says no, they at that point maybe do have to look at more at trade possibilities. Because if next year is effectively a lost season, then you'd only have one year left on Beal. So if you're going to trade him at that point, you're going to get less value than you would now. So I would do my best to keep him, but I do think the the extension talk helps clarify the situation. Look, at the very least, they should be trying to evaluate the deals that could potentially be out there. I think it would be irresponsible not to do that. There could be a blockbuster deal and offer that you can't turn down. Um, it, let's assume that they, they move forward with Beal on the roster – even without a true general manager in place, do you think they will be aggressive trying to fill the Otto Porter slot, or I guess it's the Jabari Parker spot, and try try to make a move or or three in free agency? So, what about um, Al Horford? Guess, <laughs> oh no, uh, I don't want another wild finish, Kevin. I can't, <laughs> I can't, uh, I can't handle that. Um, well, so so here's the thing on this one, right? The the owner has made it clear in the past, or at least we can sort of interpret this based on his his comments, that making the playoffs from a revenue standpoint is important, right? You get those those home playoff games are a big deal. So making, I mean, that's why it feels like the Wizards sort of didn't fully punt last year. They kept Trevor Reason, Jeff Green, because they still had an outside hope of making the playoffs. Obviously, it didn't work out. Uh, I think it's important to remember in the 35 games after John Wall was ruled out for the season. The Wizards were one game under 500, despite the fact that they, the ball was out. Marquise Morris was hurt. They, in, in that stretch, traded away Otto Porter. But with Bradley Beal in the lead and the sort of Motley crew around him, they hung in there. So you could hypothetically believe that if the Wizards effectively brought back the same team, you know, re-sign Thomas Bryant, keep Thomas uh, Sadoransky, you know, maybe Jeff Green, um, you know, at, at, you know, you draft this guy at nine, add somebody else. You know that maybe Dwight Howard, whatever you think of him, could be back. You know that that team gets you in the mix for the eight seed. I'm not saying that they should or they should do that, but maybe. I don't know if that's what they want to do though. To me, the plan would be I don't sign anybody to more than a one or two year contract. So in the worst case scenario that Beal leaves when his contract is up, I'm not having to weigh that out to start over again. I think if you do short term deals. And you look ahead to next year, again, this isn't, I'm not saying this team competes with Golden State or whoever the title contender is, but you would have Bradley Beal, probably a three-time All-Star. You have John Wall coming off his injury, and you hope he's close to 100% or 90% or whatever. Um, you have Troy Brown. You have the ninth pick this year. You have another lottery pick next year. And you have a clean uh, ledger sheet because Jan Mahimi and Dwight Howard are off the books. That's not a bad starting point considering where things are at now. That, to me, is the angle that I would go towards, but I don't know what they're going to do. Again, not having a, a, a front office, a permanent front office leader, 
kind of it, it makes it hard to understand what the plan is because we're really not hearing about it. We only just heard yesterday that they weren't even making changes, let alone what their pursuit is. So I don't know what they want to do, but I would be patient. We'll see if they are. All right, let's talk about the draft, which is tomorrow night. The Wizards have the ninth overall pick. First of all, do you expect them – do you think there's any chance that they – I mean, we've just talked about Beal. The only chance to move up would be to package Beal in a deal. So let's just, for the purposes of, of this this conversation about the draft, just assume they stay at nine. Who's there for them uh, at nine? Who's still there? And what do you think they'll do? So it feels like you look at all the mock drafts out there, and it feels like everybody, the order may be slightly different, but you see the same names in the one to eight slots. So one guy who maybe slips back is Cam Reddish from Duke, which, um, you know, he's just a, such a polarizing prospect. The, the athletic traits are tantalizing, but there's a lot of questions about his motor, his desire. He, he shot less than 40% from the field last year from two point range, uh, or two point shots. So there's a lot of concern, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's almost obligatory that the Wizards would have to pick him if he's there. But if he's not there, to me, there's a lot of guys you could you could look at. I, again, this is a draft where every prospect I bring up to any any uh, person around the around the league, they say, "Yeah, this guy's got this." But there's this, there's always the immediate downside concerns with basically all these candidates. I'm guessing something of an educated guess, but mostly just sort of my own gut instinct that it's between. The 18-year-old French kid, Sekou Jamboya, I hope I'm saying his name right, um, he's the youngest player in this draft. He's incredibly athletic. He's 6'9", can guard 1-4. to four. He's not going to help the Wizards next year, but his sort of combination of uh, defense, versatility, uh, skills, athleticism, sort of is going where the NBA is trending with all the switching and, and, and ability to play in the open court. I think he's interesting. Then there's also Ruri Hachimura, the power forward from Gonzaga, Again, one of these guys who some people really love and think is worthy of a top 10 pick. Other people don't think he should be picked in the top 20. But he's a guy who's played three years at Gonzaga. He's athletic. He's solid. Um, he, he, he can make some outside shots. I think he gives you sort of like a steady piece. There's not maybe a ton of upside, but he's a guy like for a Wizards team that just does not have a great baseline right now. I think he maybe helps shore that up. Those would be two guys I think to look at. You know, certainly there's North Carolina's Mr. Little, a small forward who he's got a little too maybe Kelly Oubre-ish in him for me. In other words, great athlete, bad instincts kind of kind of guy. Um, some people like Jackson Hayes, the the springy center from from Texas. So those are a couple names to consider. But I've got Dumboya as the guy for me right now that I if I had to pick and I really don't want to, but if I had to guess. He's where I put my money. All right, youngest player in the draft, eighteen. He's like six nine, long armed, the whole thing. But you know, definitely a a a future play, as all of these guys are. Um, after the top three in your mock draft of Williamson, Morant, and Barrett uh, to uh, to New Orleans, Memphis, and New York, who did you have fourth overall? Because this is really where you know all of the mock drafts start to take different turns. Really, you know, starting at number four through you know really the rest of the first round, and it's it's not unusual. A lot of people calling this Ben, you know, a, a top three, top heavy draft, and that's it. Um, who did you have at number four, which would go to New Orleans at this point because of the Anthony Davis trade? Well, I think if you went to uh, you know if you're listening to this podcast shortly after Kevin posts. I'm going to assume that the website will say that I have uh, Texas Tech wing Jared Culver going to the Pelicans at four. That said, I think by the time I get to the final, final, final mock draft ahead of Thursday, I'm probably going to switch it to 
Vanderbilt point guard Darius Garland. Not that I'm like, so, I mean, look, I, I, Darius Garland played what five games in Vanderbilt, then he got hurt, so there's almost no, uh, you know, footage to really look at. But you just talk to people around the league, and he seems like. Of any of these guys, he seems to be the one that generates the most enthusiasm. And in a, in a year which everybody seems to be just so down on this, I'm, I'm not going to discount that. So I've got Garland going four with uh, De, uh, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia going to Cleveland at five. And, and I don't know how much further you want me to go, but, but that's, that's what I've got for the top five. And the Wizards in this draft have just one pick, uh, their first rounder. They do not have a second round pick. Well, many teams like the Hawks have, I think, five, six picks or more. I think Philly, you know, has a bunch of picks uh, as well um, in this draft. Um, I think the Wizards may buy. I mean, the sense I've had throughout this is that the Wizards are interested in buying into the second round. They should be. They need bodies. Right, right. And so, again, this is one of those things where, you know, if there was a little more clarification, it would be maybe easier to project. But I, I think that's a possibility for them. And it is a way to get cheap talent that, that helps from a salary cap perspective. Despite the fact the Wizards don't have a lot of guys on the roster, they really don't have much salary cap space to work with because of the contracts yeah. that they have on the book. So the, the going with a second-round pick not only is it good for the future, but also it helps the current uh, uh, salary cap model. All right, give me a guy that you really love in this draft, say after – you know, the, the, a projected top, you know, six, seven, and a guy that you think is going to go in that in that you know top ten range that you think would be a mistake. Boy, honestly, it's been a struggle to find a guy that I really that I really feel good about. I mean, normally this isn't that complicated. Um, I, I, I'll go, uh, Kevin. I, I honestly, I, I I don't like anybody. Um, I, I, I guess I'm intrigued a little bit by Jackson Hayes. He's got a long way to go. He, the fact that he doesn't have a shot outside of 15 feet in the modern NBA is a little scary. And he's definitely – people have used the soft term for sure. But, like, you see some instincts. He's really good at the, at the pick and roll as the, as the finisher at the rim. And, look, you know, we've seen Clint Capella, you know, ha- have, a, have, a, have a good career uh, with, 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 the, with the Rockets being that type of – player and, and so I think it, you know in the right situation I think Jackson Hayes in time not immediately but in time could be a pretty interesting presence he's long and a shot blocker um I, I think the most polarizing player in this draft if it's not Cam Reddish it's got to be Bowl Bowl I, I, there are people who think he is a top five talent in this league at seven three he can shoot like shoot the lights out from three his athleticism he, he, he's far more fluid than you would imagine as, considering he's like all arms and legs literally but there's just so many concerns. That, you know, he, he missed most of last year with a foot injury. There are questions about his motivation. He's only 208 pounds. At least that's what he tested at the, or weighed in at the combine. That's not going to work in, against grown men in the NBA. But because this draft is so uncertain, he it feels like I can imagine a team taking a risk on him somewhere in the top 15 and ultimately regretting it, yet I really sit here would struggle to blame them because his potential is probably significantly higher than others in that spot. So right. even if the risk is too much, he might be he might be worth it at a certain point. Uh, last one. Will Bruno Fernando go in the first round? Uh, um, I currently have him going 30. <laughs> so I guess, I, I guess I'm saying yes, but, you know, He's leaning over the he's leaning over the edge. I, you know, I, there were some people who thought, and, and look, the thing with this draft again is it's very much an eye of the beholder draft. I have him at thirty. I mean, like for example, I was told that Daniel Gafford, a center from Arkansas, who I actually have going thirty-one. Somebody told me he has a promise for from a team in the seventeen to twenty-three range. 
Now, me having him at 31 is significantly higher than what ESPN ranks him at and so on. Am I being lied to? Sure, why not? But this is that time of the year. But this is very much an eye of the beholder draft. And I did have one team also sort of talk Gaffer up a bit more. So I'm just mentioning this in terms of Fernando. Just because I and others seem to have him in that in that general 30 range doesn't mean there's not a team who is far more interested in him up because he's a mobile big man who's got a little bit of an outside shot. I could see it. But for now, I have him as the very last pick in the first round. And that would be Milwaukee's uh, pick. Um I lied. One last question: Is there a contest? Can you win something? Uh, can you can you be um, can, can you uh, accept uh, a ton of praise from people all over the country for winning an NBA mock draft the way you did for your NFL mock draft or not? Uh, I'm just putting my entry into the uh, okay. Sheehan pool and hoping that oh, I'm the only one. Yeah, that well, might be the only way I'm winning this year. This this is far more difficult than the NFL draft. I, I, I promise. Well, you. we're giving out uh, Georgetown cupcakes to the winner of of our mock draft, so at least you'd get something that you might enjoy, other than just national attention, which you you, you certainly had back in April for having the most successful and accurate NFL mock draft of anybody in the country. Um, but I didn't have a full stomach though after that. I was not given a cupcake so this is a much better deal i'm, I'm in i you know the, the nba draft is not the the nfl draft it's not even close to it um in terms of the impact that it has and and etc and and it really is to me even more uh, guesswork than the nfl draft is um and i hope that the wizards are are, are thinking not in terms of where their pick you know, comes in via all of the mock drafts. You know, I've, I mean, part of me thinks they're looking through a bunch of mock drafts to help them, you know, narrow down the, the list of, of people uh, they can pick. There are players in this draft that I've seen mocked in the early second round that I think are going to be better than some of the guys taken in the top 12, top 14, um, which, by the way, often happens, almost always happens. Uh, but I, I hope that they're able to get somebody that can help them. Um, thank you. For this, I know you got to run, but uh, follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standig. NBC Sports Washington's got his. I think it's updated because they do have Jarrett Culver uh, as your number four overall pick. Um, so if that's your update, uh, it's up there right now on NBCSports.com, uh, and uh, just follow that for for Ben's mock draft. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right, thanks to Ben uh, for joining us. Um, Quick word about launch workplaces in Bethesda. If you live in the Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Upper Northwest D.C. area and you're looking for new office space, consider launch workplaces in Bethesda. They have affordable private office solutions so you can get work done. It's a beautiful new space, provides fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, and free parking and plenty of it. Uh, you can get you can get more work done today by moving your office to Launch Workplaces. They've got locations all around town. You can find out about those at launchworkplaces.com, but you can call 240-800-6714, mention my name, and get a free two-day trial at their Bethesda location. Uh, don't forget, if you're listening to us on iTunes or anything Apple, to rate us and review us. Also, subscribe. That helps us. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. Um, and 
Uh, mention to people that we're available on our website, thekevinsheehanshow.com, if they can't figure out iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and all of the other uh, podcast platforms that you can get this show on. A uh, couple of things to finish up the show. Uh, Max Scherzer broke his nose um, in batting practice, you know, practicing bunts yesterday, but says he will pitch tonight if they actually have a game. Um I, I would expect that he would pitch. I, I hope he doesn't have a Rip Hamilton-style mask on, although that would probably That'd be awesome. suit him well. That'd be real. Actually, I, I think you're wrong. I hope that happens. Yeah, it's, actually, I'm starting to think about it. That would be, that would make him awfully intimidating, and he's already intimidating to begin with. Um, there's also breaking NBA news just since the conversation with Ben, um, and that is that Memphis is trading Mike Conley to Utah for a package that includes Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, and Kyle Korver, and their 2019 number 23 uh, pick overall, and a future first-round pick. I'm a big Mike Conley fan, and I actually think, obviously, they're trading him because they're going to draft John Morant right. tomorrow night. Um, but I think a Utah team with Donovan Mitchell and with Mike Conley in the backcourt you know, it, it, they've been playing Rubio. Rubio's now starting to get up there. I mean, he's probably approaching his 10th year in the league. It was 2009. 2009. It was 2009. Yeah. So he's probably got nine years in the league. Um, that that particular backcourt, to me, is really intriguing. Mike Conley can just flat-out play, and he plays in a winning way. Um, I've always enjoyed watching him play. And really... The team, the teams that he played on with Gasol in particular, Mark Gasol, I thought were pretty good teams. Uh, a couple of those teams. I'm really um, surprised that that's all Memphis could get for Mike Conley. It seems like a lot. I mean, it's a lot of pieces, but how valuable are each of the pieces? Well, what what were you going to get back from Utah? You weren't going to get well, Mitchell. But did did you have to work? You with, weren't going to get Rudy did you Gobert. Have to work with Utah, like no one else oh, would have given I, up more. No, that's a fair point. I look, I, I think. First of all, Jay Crowder is a good player. You know, Kyle Korver is obviously, you know, at this point, uh, I don't know, is he is he 40 yet? He's probably approaching 40 years old. He's coming up on 40 years old. Um, Grayson Allen, what did he really do in his in his first year? I, I, I didn't – not a lot, right? Averaged a, right. Cu- a couple of minutes a night, a couple of points maybe a night. Um, but you might like his potential there. Uh, I think Jay Crowder and the picks are the value in this deal, right? What I, am I missing? I, that, no, that would be that, it. I mean, that, that would be it, and I, I just don't think that that's much, that much. And with what was, Con- teams, what was Conley's uh, contract situation? I, that I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look up his contract and see if there, you know, maybe there wasn't a market. Yeah. But you would think that some of these teams, as they're, you know, starting to reorganize, would have been more interested in Conley than that, but maybe not. Yeah, perhaps. Um all right, uh, that's it for the day. Uh, Tommy will be with me tomorrow. Um, I'll do a you know a more in-depth draft preview. I'm going to give you the players I like, the players I don't like specifically for the Wizards at number nine, and hopefully the Nats played two games today, right? Yeah, that'd be nice. It, it looks good right now or 45 minutes away, and there's actual sun out. So hopefully they'll get at least one in, and I can't wait tomorrow to hear Tommy's take on the uh, the umpires criticizing baseball players. Did you see that? I didn't see that. You didn't tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So man, Save it for Tommy. Tomorrow. Yeah, we're, Tommy, will. I think, will have a good take. All right, we'll do that tomorrow. Thanks to Ben Standig for being on the show today. Thanks to Aaron for producing it. Uh, back tomorrow.